So a few weeks ago, I got an envelope in the mail, and on the front in big red letters it said, do not throw away, you've already won a valuable prize, details inside. Do you all get those envelopes? Yeah. So you know that if you open it up, you find out that indeed, you may have already won any number of valuable prizes. A weekend getaway for two, or I don't know, a set of golf clubs, or an expensive lady's watch, and all you've got to do to claim your valuable prize is sit through a brief seminar on lakefront property, or flipping real estate, or Florida timeshares, and then the valuable prize is yours. I actually have a family friend who goes to those seminars. It's sort of a game for him. He never buys anything. He's just there for the valuable prizes, and at this point, he has quite a collection. Once, in pursuit of a very expensive set of golf clubs, he sat through a multi-hour pressure fest on some, uh, and I believe it was retirement investments. Well, he got the golf clubs, but a salesman followed him all the way to his car out in the parking lot, and then he was subjected to weeks of snail mail and email and text messages and phone calls from this same salesman. Friends, I don't care if those golf clubs were made out of solid gold. I do not believe that I would subject myself to that kind of misery. So, given the history of the phrase, I hesitate to say this to you, but in all seriousness, you've already won a valuable prize. And it's a lot better than golf clubs. And you don't have to sit through a brief seminar or a pressure fest in order to claim it. No, all you've got to do is open the eyes of your heart. And what is that prize? It's the very presence of God. It's the hope and the power and the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's right here, right now, in this church, because you see, the church is Christ's body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, Paul's words are so powerful in this passage from Ephesians on their own, but I think the power is compounded when we take into consideration the context in which they were written. Because I think many of you know, Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians while he was in jail. He was in prison. He was really coming to the end of his ministry and the end of his earthly life. And it wasn't an especially glamorous close to things. But of course, it had never really been glamorous for Paul. He had gone through so much. Uh, Paul had been taunted, made fun of, run out of town on a rail, beaten, shipwrecked, arrested. And now he's in jail when he's writing this. And yet, it seems like none of that was especially important to Paul. No, none of that was as important or as compelling as his absolute belief in the very presence of Christ here among us, and that hope, that power, that glory. And, and he believed with his whole heart that Christ was changing the world for good and for God, and that nothing could stop him, nothing. No powers, no principalities, not death nor life, 
nothing. No, he, he believed that nothing could stand between us and Christ. Do you remember his words? That there is nothing in this life or the next that can separate us from the great love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, nothing. And he, he wanted us to see this so badly. He wanted us to be able to see the way he could see. And that's why he prayed that the eyes of our hearts will be open because he knew that if it was just up to our regular human sight that we might miss it. We might not see that most valuable prize. Paul understood that we can physically see as human beings and yet remain completely blind somehow. We can just miss it all, even when it is right in front of us, if the eyes of our heart are not opened. Now, I've mentioned to you before that one of my primary mentors in ministry was Reverend Kathleen Baskin. Kathleen died very young of a very rare form of cancer, but she had an amazing ministry in her time here on earth. She spent five years of that ministry serving the poorest of the poor in West Dallas. If you're familiar with that area of Dallas, you know it, it is greatly impoverished. They, they face a lot of challenges there. Kathleen was sent there as a very young clergywoman to start a new United Methodist Church in that community. And, and she told me once that she spent the first two years of that appointment standing at the window every Sunday morning of this little worship space they had and looking out and just silently praying, waiting, hoping that anybody would come to church service. But eventually they did, and more and more came. And finally, they were able to charter a new little United Methodist Church there called Nueva Esperanza, which means new hope. Wonderful, amazing things. The good work of God happened in and through that congregation in that impoverished neighborhood. And yet, Kathleen said, so many people just didn't seem to be able to see it. She said, often people from suburban churches would sort of take a field trip down to visit her congregation, and they would drive into the neighborhood and they would see the boarded up houses and the drug dealers on the corner and the liquor stores and the trash and the gutter. And then they would come into her church and they would say things to her like, what did you do to get appointed here? This is such a waste of your gifts. One man even waited for her after church one Sunday and said, I feel so sorry for you. Do you want me to write the bishop on your behalf? Kathleen said she just couldn't believe it sometimes, how, how people just didn't see what was happening there. She said they, they would come right there into the church, and somehow they would miss the entire Sunday school room full of little children with smiles on their faces, learning some of them for the very first time about this man named Jesus. They would come in, and, and somehow they just wouldn't see the teenage boy who had walked away from drugs and gangs and become their associate youth director. They would come in and, and miss somehow a little girl who came to church with no shoes on and how Kathleen took her back to the clothes closet there and they found a pair of red patent leather Mary Jane slippers. 
And how this little girl put them on her feet and skipped down the hall. And then she sat in the front row for the whole hour of worship and just kicked those feet and looked at her shoes. She thought they were the most beautiful shoes in the whole wide world. And wearing them, she felt like a beloved child of God. But somehow, people would come in, and they just didn't have the eyes of their heart opened. They couldn't see. Kathleen said it just seemed like so many folks could see the poverty and the darkness, but not the light. Now, friends, we got to be honest, right, that the church is not perfect. I don't want to pretend that it is. It is Christ's body, but it is made up of us human beings, and so that means that there is imperfection and there is brokenness. The truth is that we bring all of who we are into the church, the good and the bad and um, everything in between. Sometimes we in the church, well, we don't agree on everything. Sometimes we argue with each other. Sometimes we're just grumpy, and sometimes we're really unkind. But even in the midst of all of that, our God is at work. There is so much more going on here if we will only open the eyes of our hearts to see. Friends, do you see? It's here in this place, the hope and the power and the glory of Christ at work transforming the world. It's here in the young couple who comes to visit this place and brings their little baby with them. They haven't been in church in a long time, this couple, since they were children themselves. And they're really nervous. They don't know what to expect, and they don't know if they'll know how to participate, and they don't know if they'll be welcome at all. They get up the courage, and they come one morning, and they're greeted at the door, and then someone with a smile on their face receives their little baby in the nursery, and they come into worship, and during the passing of the peace, you reach out and speak to them and welcome them. And then after service, somebody invites them to Sunday school, and they go, and before they know it, they're coming back, and they're developing relationships, and they, they, they see that God loves them, and they have a place in the body of Christ. And then the day comes when they bring that little precious baby girl up to be baptized, and in that moment, that child becomes our child. Do you see? Do you see the hope and the power and the glory in that? Or it's, it's there in the, the man who comes to church and sits by himself in the pew, you know, and he looks so sad. And you reach out to him as well, and you find out that his wife is in a nursing home, and she is dying, and they have no family, and he is alone, and he is afraid. And you embrace him, and you love him, and the pastors visit him, and you take him casseroles. And when his wife dies, and we have the funeral right here in this place, some of you sit beside him, and one of you holds his hand. Do you see the hope and the power and the glory in that? And then there's this woman 
who comes to worship on Christmas Eve. She comes to the two o'clock service, and she sits way in the back, as far back against the wall as she can possibly get by herself, and she is thinking, why did I do this? I don't belong in church. I am unworthy to even be here. And she keeps thinking, I'll just stay five more minutes. And when it comes time to receive Holy Communion, she thinks, I am not doing that. I am not doing that. I am unworthy. But the usher smiles and beckons her to come, and so she does. And there's just something about the bread and the cup and the songs and the prayers. And when she lifts her little candle and sings, all is calm, all is bright, somehow it is in her heart for the first time in a very, very long time. Maybe that's why you're here. Maybe you're here because, well, you see it all. You know, during the week, you see it all. You see the darkness and the brokenness and the problems. You see all of it, but you know there's something else and you're hungry for whatever that is. And so you come here hoping for a glimpse of the hope and the power and the glory, that most valuable prize. Because you think if you can just see it here, well then maybe you can make it another week. You can leave this place with your head up, and maybe you can take a little bit of that hope and power and glory with you, enough to live on, enough to share. Well, I could go on and on and on for hours, but I promised you at the beginning of this sermon that you did not have to sit through hours and hours of talk, a very long seminar in order to claim your prize. My friends know it's here. It's here for the seeing. It's here for the claiming. If only you open the eyes of your heart.